I pray that we've not lost faith's sweet consolation. Because here's the fact of the matter. God is still on the throne. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Guess what? If there's a problem, it's me. If there's a problem, it's you. Can we admit that? That that sometimes we, we take our eyes off of the throne of grace? That we don't come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need? I pray that we will never lose sight of Him. Of Him because day by day with every passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Amen? We sang some wonderful lyrics this morning that will remind us of God's great and precious promises. And I pray that I never lose sight. We also sung that verse, though, that says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. Why would I do such a thing? Why would you ever do such a thing? I pray that the Lord would just overwhelm us with His Spirit and draw us close to Him. Because He, for His children, He holds us fast. He does. In, in every situation of life, He is there, and He holds us fast. So let's, let's go back to the book of Romans, first chapter. We're going to begin by reading again the, the first seven verses. From the King James Version, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised, which God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just ask, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Now, just... I don't know if we're going to be here another week in these first seven verses or not. We're going to see. The, the Apostle Paul started this letter by introducing himself. And he introduced himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Separated from before his mother's womb. Called to be an apostle of the gospel of God. And of the gospel of God, Paul has told us that this gospel was planned long ago that it's about God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies having come through the lineage of David. And that the gospel of God 
is about the risen Christ who came forth triumphant from the dead as the reigning Son of God in power. That's a lot in the first four verses, isn't it? That's the beginning. And I believe I said if we could get a grip on the beginning of the book of Romans, it will help us open up the rest of the book. And today we're going to be looking at verse 5. As I said, we're going to be talking about grace. Brother Kenny talked of grace a couple of weeks ago, and what we will be looking at today will just be building upon the truths that he shared. And brother, we thank the Lord for you and sharing what you did a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to start very simple. Kenny read from Ephesians 2, and I want to read a little bit more. Ephesians 2, the first ten verses. Because we know this, that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That, that is salvation's plan. And, and I, if you ever want to get a glimpse of knowing that salvation is, is of the Lord, read the book of Ephesians. And perhaps in particular, these ten verses. And you, He, the Lord, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let me stop. Let us never forget we were dead. Dead people can't respond to anything. Can't. So then how were any of us able to respond to the Lord? Grace. Grace. That there had to be a, ever how you want to say it, a quickening. There had to be a resurrection that took place for us to hear. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This was all of us. This was all of us. Verse 4, but God. <laughs> Is there a greater little two-word phrase than that for the born-again believer? But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive. He made us alive. He caused us to be born again, you see. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, let me pause there for a minute. Is that talking about some future event? No, that's now. Now we are with Him and seated with Him. That The Spirit of God indwells us, is in us, God in us. It made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we, we also know that this grace was, was brought by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord, upon the cross. Because of the work of Christ upon the cross, Jesus' willingness and obedience to come and do the will of God, which was to come and to give himself a sacrifice. Ephesians 1.7 In him, in the Lord, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In Romans 3, verse 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as a payment, by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." It is He who justifies. If we go more in Romans, go to Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Who's this talking of? The, the one man that, that judgment came, that all fell after him, Adam. Talking of Adam. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Let me pause there for a minute. What's it talking about? The law entered. You know, what, what's the law? What's the law? It's the tutor that brings us to Christ. How would I know sin unless the law told me, Thou shalt not this, this, and this? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank the Lord for His grace toward us. Grace is mentioned in the book of Romans more than any other book in the Bible. And, and of all the times that grace is mentioned in the Bible, far and away, it's in the writings of Paul. Paul had a great emphasis on grace and because he knows. And he knew. 
You know, we looked at the Damascus Road experience. We knew who Paul was, but before that event took place, he was a murderer. He was vicious. He was going in, dragging people out of their homes. That was Paul before Christ. And so Paul, he can talk about grace, can't he? Because he knows firsthand what it is. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones as as he talks about that very thing. This is what Paul, this is Lloyd-Jones, quote, this is what Paul seems to be saying in verse 5. Here I am, writing this letter to you Christians at Rome. This is an amazing and astounding thing to me as I realize that I was Saul of Tarsus, a blasphemer, an injurious person, and a persecutor. And here I am, writing to you. (laughs) Why is it, Lloyd-Jones asks? Well, there is only one answer. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was because of that grace that Paul was arrested and apprehended and made to see himself as a vile sinner and shown the way of salvation and given it. His sins were forgiven and he became a new man, a new creature. The grace, I am what I am, says Paul, by the grace of God. He would never have been a Christian but for this. It is entirely through Christ and because of Christ by whom we have received grace. He would have nothing. He would have no standing. He would have no message to preach, nothing to say, were it not that the grace of God was exceedingly abundant with respect to him and brought him into eternal life and into the faith. Does that speak of all of us? But for God, see, Paul was captivated by grace. And Paul tells Timothy of that exceedingly abundant grace that, that Lloyd-Jones mentioned. It's, it's 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 15. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, the Apostle Paul humbled by the grace of God. Marveling at the grace of God. Grace is given through the risen and reigning Son of God in power. There is no grace towards sinners apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't earn grace. There is no good work that we can do to deserve grace. It comes through Jesus and His work for us. Jesus obtained it for us. We get it freely because of the obedience, the death, the resurrection of another, Jesus Christ our Lord. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
but according to his mercy, he saved us. Let me pause there for a moment. You know, what is mercy? And Kenny, you, you talked a little bit about similarities or sometimes they're spoken of together. Well, what is, what is mercy? Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. The withholding of deserved punishment. And, and we know much more than that, don't we? <laughs> We know that God placed the wrath deserved by all who would believe and place them on His Son. And then giving us what in return? The righteousness of God. Our sins placed on Him, our sins imputed to Christ, and in return, His grace, His mercy, His righteousness given and imputed to us. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, God, grace is not God's response to our works, our good deeds, our deserving, or meriting. Grace is God's free gift to undeserving sinners. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You see, when we work, usually we, we receive a wage. It, it's, it's a debt that's owed to us because of our work. And that's not what grace is. See, grace is always a free gift. Always. It's a free gift to those who believe. So, therefore, grace is always received through faith, not earned by works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the, to the election of grace. And if by grace, if this election is by grace, and it is, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What's it saying? What's all it saying? Grace would not be grace if you earned it by your works. That's what he's saying. Grace would not be grace if you earned it by your works. We receive it through faith. Uh, Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the fruit of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It is of grace, that it might be according to grace. This is Paul's way of saying that grace is absolutely free and cannot be earned. When grace comes to you, it is through faith or not at all. 
We are justified freely by His grace. We, we read it earlier, Romans 3, just verse 24. Being justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified by His grace. Now, now, and Kenny alluded to this a couple of weeks ago too. Is grace only for our moment of salvation? No. No. It's, it's, it, it, it's also grace by which we live. It seems to me that's what Paul is saying there in verse 5, in Romans 1, 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. We, we receive grace for obedience to the faith. Kenny, you, you gave us Strong's definition that, that grace is a divine influence upon the heart. You know, Strong's definition, it's a good definition. Uh, because for all of us, that moment that grace appeared, it was a divine influence. It, it, it was the Lord. It was Him. It was His work. A divine influence. Now, I want to add this. I want to add this to the definition. It is also a divine enabling for obedience to the faith. It's a divine enabling for obedience to the faith. So, yeah, and power. It is a power. I don't know if we did. Did we read that already in, in a passage? It is a power, an enabling uh, to to do what he is asking us to do to obedience for obedience to the faith. Well, that, yeah, that's right. There it is. Uh, my, my next line. The grace that Paul received was not just for forgiveness toward Paul's sin, but is also a power to enable Paul to do his calling as an apostle. Amen. There you go. Let me read it again. We were both thinking that, so it must be good, right? The grace that Paul received was not just for forgiveness toward Paul's sins, but is also a power to enable Paul to do his calling as an apostle. And that same grace will enable us to do all that he is calling us to do. You know, Paul had a special calling. Man, what a calling he had. But we all also have a calling to do what he would have us to do in service to Him for His glory. So Paul talks of this relationship between grace and ministry in Romans 12 and, and, and uh, Romans 15. Uh, in, in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Now Paul is here talking of gifts of grace. In other words, enablements according to grace. For I say, verses 3 through 8, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let me pause there, leave that up there. Do you get that? All born again 
believers, part of the family of God, all members of the family of God, but all with different functions. Some have the same, but varied functions. Maybe I could put it that way. Different callings, different measures of faith. Now verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to grace that is according to the grace that is given to us, let us what? Use them. Now here I'm gonna read that again and you jump in on that little phrase. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, everybody, let us use them. Are we using the gift that God has given us? If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, that measure of faith that he has given. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. And that can be a variety of different things, can't it? He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, every born-again believer is called to use their gift. And they're enabled by the power of God. They're enabled by the grace of God to accomplish that, to achieve it, the, the outworking of that gift. And, and, and this is what grace did for Paul. Let's go to Romans 15, verses 15 and 16. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Here, here's God's call for Paul. He has written more boldly on some points. And he kept, we're going to see as we go through Romans over and over and over again, he's going to keep hitting some of the same points. Grace given that Paul might minister to the Gentiles of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? So in Romans 1, when Paul says that we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, I believe that he means that God not only saved him from his sin, but that he also gave him grace to be an authoritative apostle for the risen Son of God. And that 1 Corinthians 15.10 Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Laboring in the power of grace. You see, God's grace is an enablement for labor, for ministry, for living a godly life. Uh, the enabling power of all ministry and service is God's grace. Grace for obedience to the faith. Consider this. All true obedience is done in the power of grace. Can I say that? All true obedience is done in the power of grace, not our own power. God is the source of enabling, empowering, and sustaining grace. So, so may, I, may we all learn to trust Him 
Learn to rely on Him. Learn to obey Him. Learn to live our lives enabled by grace that we might be well-pleasing to Him. Why? 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 All of this, why? The, the end of that verse 5 in Romans 1, 5, put it up again. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Why? For His name. For the fame of His name, that He would be lifted up so that He would get all the glory. For His name. ESV says, for the sake of His name. NESB, say, says, uh, NESB says, for His name's sake. We live by grace through faith so that His name would be exalted, that He might receive all glory. You, you see, if... if if my obedience, if my laboring, if my ministering is by grace through faith, then God gets the glory. But if we labor under ourselves, who gets the glory? Oh, we would get the praise. If it's done in the flesh, we would get the praise. And is there any eternal reward to that? No. No, no. Well, what's the reward? The reward is the praise of men and nothing more. Your reward is just that which is here on earth. And that's how many people are living, for the praise of men. Not concerned whatsoever about the glory of God, but they want to be praised on this earth that we would minister in the power and the strength that the Lord supplies. That's 1 Peter 4. Let's read it, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, and they have, amen, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You say, here's Peter talking about the same thing that Paul was talking about. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, so what's the apostles talking about? The glory of God. All to the glory of God. To serve by the enabling grace that God supplies so that God gets the glory. That in everything, God may be glorified. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. In all things, may we obey God. And, and this obedience, Obedience begins with what? Grace. Grace. God's grace. See, when we stumble, when I stumble, when we momentarily surrender to sin, is that a good way to put it? When we momentarily surrender to sin, it is because for that moment, we have lost sight of grace. Is is that a correct statement? Can I say that? I think so. 
for that, for that moment, we have lost sight of the grace of God. And we have stepped out in the lust of the flesh to, to whatever has caught our eye, to whatever has got our attention. When we stumble, when we momentarily surrender to sin, it is because for that moment we have lost sight of grace. You know, may grace and the doctrines of grace be at the forefront of our lives, the forefront of our daily living, that we might live in obedience to God. In, in Romans 6, verses 17 and 18, See how much we're reading from Romans today? Paul talking about over and over and over. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And we talked about this several weeks ago now. So let me ask this question. Child of God, how were any of us able to obey from the heart that form of doctrine by which we were delivered from sin? How? Grace. Grace. It was, it was grace. By the enabling power of saving grace, we obey our Lord and Savior. Is it always perfect obedience? Well, in my life, it's no. And I'm going to venture to say in your life, you're going to, if you're truthful, you're going to say no as well. Because we're prone to stumble and fall into momentary sin. But the sin and disobedience will be temporary for the true born again believer. I can say that, right? It'll only be temporary. It will not be a continued pattern or practice of life. Because obedience is an evidence of having received saving grace. Can we say amen to that? Obedience is an evidence of having received saving grace. Again, not, not perfect obedience, not perfect all the time, but a pattern, a practice of obedience. Let me ask this. Can a born-again believer live in a constant state of disobedience with no regard to obeying the commands of God? No. No. You know, I, I read some, thing, and, you know, MacArthur, he talked about it, that, about talking with a, a pastor. And uh, there was a, a gentleman that, that was on the board in the church and, and he, he uh, owned a liquor store. And uh, John asked him about that. He said, well, does, doesn't that concern you? Yeah, it does, but you know, when I talk to the guy about it, he says, well, if people are going to buy liquor somewhere, they might as well buy it from me. I might as well get the profit from it. That was his thought. And, and then John asked him, he said, well, what's his pattern of life? What's his practice of life? Well, he left his wife and ran off with some young gal. And Well, well does that concern you? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I, I can't believe a, a, a born-again Christian could act that way. What's the pattern of life saying? They're not born again. Or there's a good chance they're not born again. If this is a continued practice of their life, you know, only God truly knows 
Perhaps they're in an extended period of failure and that God will bring them back. But there's a very good chance if someone is in a pattern like that and if you have friends or you have family and you go, man, I can't believe that as a child of God they would act like that. Maybe the reason they're acting like that is because they're not a child of God. That they have no power of the Spirit in them to enable them. They have not received the grace of God, the power of God to enable them to walk the Christian life. And, and, and all they're trying to do is perhaps do a little bit of it as they can. This one guy, yeah, he's going to church. That was about the extent of it. You know, he was given money that he made from selling liquor. Because look at what Jesus said in Luke 6. Luke 6, verse 46 through 49. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then here's the, the parable that, that we all know. Because what did he just say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You're, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. Well, there's a reason. He's not truly their Lord. I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. What's our foundation? Is it a foundation of grace? Or is it a foundation of personal will and nothing more? I want to read another quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. So I I pray you can listen as I read this. This is in regard to Romans 1 verse 5. And Lord Jones says, According then to the apostles' teaching, no one really can be regarded as having believed the gospel who has not repented and turned from a life of sin to a life of obedience to God in Jesus Christ. Surely believing the gospel cannot mean anything less than that. If I say I believe the gospel, I must be saying that I believe I am a sinner, that I am under the wrath of God, that I am hell bound, and that I cannot save myself, but that God has provided that way in Jesus Christ and in Him crucified, and I therefore believe. And if I believe that, I'm not going to continue where I was. I must be sorry for my sin, which has necessitated the coming of the Son of God into the world and His terrible death upon the cross. I must have sorrow for sin. For why do I go to Him if I am not conscious of my sin? And having done all that, I turn away from my sin. I do not want to belong to the world and its sin any longer. I want to belong to Him, to please Him who has done so much for me. I give myself to Him. As we have seen, 
You cannot believe in the Lord Jesus Christ at all unless you believe in Him as your Lord as well as your Savior. But you see how often people seem really to be teaching a kind of believism, saying that you can be a Christian without repenting, that that will come later, that repentance will come later. But what have you believed then? What does believing in the Lord Jesus Christ mean if there is not this sorrow for sin, this realization of your desperate plight as the result of sin? Now this one term, the obedience of faith, includes all that. The apostle uses his terms very deliberately. He does not say believe the gospel. He says the obedience of faith. The very process of becoming a Christian is this obedience of faith. Because I believe this, the gospel of God, and as I believe it, I turn away from sin and I turn to God with grateful thanks because of what Christ Jesus has done for me. And here the apostle tells us that he has received grace and apostleship in order to call people to this obedience of faith. End quote. Obedience. Can we truly call ourselves a child of God if there is no evidence of obedience? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things? What, what did he say the Sermon on the Mount? Many, many will stand before me and say, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do all these things? And what did he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Never knew him in grace and mercy. That verse 5, one more time, Romans 1, verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for our obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, this is in the opening of, of Paul's letter. Now, I want us just for a moment to go to the last three verses of the letter. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. He just said in the opening, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. And now as he closes out the letter, listen. Now to him, to the Lord, who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and what was Paul's gospel? What was he called to? The gospel of God. It was the gospel of God. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. Oh, how is it made manifest? <laughs> Jesus came. He walked on the earth. He was crucified. It, it was made manifest, made visible, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Now do you see it? For obedience to the faith. To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. All of this, all of this, according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Why? For obedience to the faith. You think there's something important going on when he says that little phrase? He starts out in his opening saying, for obedience to the faith, and he ends 
in, in the, the last phrase of this letter for obedience to the faith. Is it important? Yes. So I would ask the question, do, do you know that you've received true saving grace through faith? Do you know? Do you know that you know you have received true saving grace? Does my life, does, does our lives bear witness of that? Or, we, or do we just say, Jesus is Lord, and then we live like the devil? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Well, I don't know what he said. Well, pick this up and it'll tell you. It tells us right here. So the question always arises, do you believe? Do you believe? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? See, you, you, you can't take Him as Savior and refuse Him as your Lord. That, that's impossible. That's impossible. If He is your Savior, He is your Lord. Amen? You, you can't... Oh yeah, I'm, I'm born again. He, he's my Savior. And then disregard everything that He has commanded. That's not true saving grace. It's not. So do you believe? I want to read from Romans one more time. We read it almost every Sunday. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from the wrath of God that will one day come upon all unbelievers. The wrath that will come upon those who have not received saving grace. For with the heart one believes in righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give thanks. I give thanks for grace, for saving grace. Grace by which our sins were covered. Grace by which our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. Grace by which our sins will not be accounted, accredited to us any longer, to those who believe. Amazing grace. Enabling grace. The power that will help us. Oh, Lord, may, may, I, may we all, Lord, remember that, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and you have help. For every situation, for every moment that we live, you are, you are our source of help. So, Father, help us not to forget that. Help me not to forget that. That regardless of the situation of life or the circumstances of life, that I may find, I may find myself, Lord, help me that I would be content in you. Oh, to, to never be content with sin that, that I may have stumbled into, but, Lord, that you would convict me and convict all of us, Lord, any time we step into sin. Convict us, Lord. Convict us that we might see our sin to see for that moment that, that we have loved that sin more than we have loved you, 
And why would anyone ever do that? So Lord, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your long suffering, your patience with us, with me. And Father, should there be anyone who would listen to this sermon, who has listened, who is yet lost and doesn't know you, oh Lord, have mercy. Draw them close to you, I pray. Open their eyes. Quicken them. Raise them from the deadness of their sin so that they might see you. And Lord, we know in seeing you and your glory that we are confronted immediately, immediately with our sin. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them faith to believe, grant them repentance. Lord, enable them by your power, by your grace to turn from sin and follow you. So Father, we need you. You're, you're all we have. You are. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.